One of the Bible teachers I, I uh, look up to and respect is uh, Joyce Meyer. And she says that uh, praise and worship attracts the presence and the power of God. Praise and worship attracts the presence and the power of God. And I think that uh, sometimes, you know, when we, your emotions swell, your heart swells, uh, when we worship together like this, it's not just uh, your emotions. What you're sensing is the presence and the power of God when he, when he comes together with us, when we lift him up and lift up his name in, in praise and worship. That's, that's what you're feeling. Well, um, and by the way, uh, Joyce Meyer's book, uh, Simple Power of Simple Prayer, is one that I've included in your reading list. And uh, if you could have those books read by the next time I speak, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> I, I, was, uh, I was talking with somebody the other day, a 30-something young woman, and we were talking about relationship issues. And I said, you know, I've really got this, this uh, great book for you. And uh, it, it, I think it's right where you're at, and it will really help you. And, and she said, well, I, I don't read. Like it was a genetic and abnormality or something. And, and, and I said, well, listen, I, I don't have this in a cartoon format. You know, I, I said, uh, that was my gift of encouragement coming out. <laughs> but I, I said, you know, uh, adults read. That's how we, we learn things. That's how we grow. And if you want to grow with God, you need to read not only the scripture, but also uh, those Christian authors that we're blessed with. So, um, let's go to God in prayer before we uh, get into the word this morning, shall we? Father, you've told us in Romans 15:4 that uh, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We pray, Lord, that through your word and your spirit this morning, you'd encourage us and you'd give us hope. And, and we pray that... Uh, You'd give us your spirit of wisdom and, and revelation this morning, understanding that you'd open our hearts to see into your word, that, that uh, you'd accomplish your purpose for which your word is going forth this morning in, in our lives and in our hearts, that you'd change us uh, further into the character of Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in the powerful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The time was 1942, and the, uh, the location was El Alamein. That may be a, a name that's unfamiliar to you, and unless you're familiar with World War II history, and, and especially North African World War II history. Derek Prince is a, a noted uh, author and, and uh, Bible teacher. He lived between... 1915 and 2003. He wrote a, a very interesting book I'd recommend to you. It's on your list as well. It's called uh, Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting. Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting. And, and what he, what he uh, provides in that book is a number of examples of time, of uh, occasions when the course of history has been changed by the fervent prayers of God's people. And in one of the powerful examples that he talks about, he, he talks about the, the uh, progress of the war in North Africa in 1942. And uh, some of you may remember years ago there was a television show on called The Desert Rats. And it was, a, it was uh, about combat in North Africa. And actually it was based on what was the actual events in, in North Africa at the time. But in 1942 the British were faring badly. In fact, they had been pushed back by the 
the Nazi forces under uh, a name you may recognize, General Erwin Rommel, who was a brilliant uh, German general called the Desert Fox. And he had uh, pushed the, the uh, British forces back um, in, in a, history, uh, a series of defeats. He pushed them back over 750 miles. The longest series of defeats, the longest retreat in British Army history was in North Africa in 1942. And uh, Derek Prince was actually assigned to a medical unit that was part of the 7th Armored Division in, uh, in the British Army at the time, and, and so it was part of that retreat. And he was the son of a military officer himself and, and attributed, in his, in his book, attributed much of the uh, difficulty the British were having to poor leadership. He said their officers were self-centered and preoccupied with their own comfort and convenience rather than the prosecution of the war. And so there was a problem with leadership, and, and he struggled uh, with God as to what he should pray for, how he should pray differently. And uh, finally, he says in his book, the Holy Spirit prompted him to pray this prayer. He said, Lord, give us leaders such that it will be for your glory to give us victory through them. Lord, give us leaders such that it will be for your glory to give us victory through them. The situation was really dire uh, for the Allies in, in the sense that um, if they lost Egypt, Al Alamein was right on the uh, near Cairo, if they lost Egypt, they would also lose control of the Suez Canal, they'd lose control of Middle Eastern oil fields, uh, and the Nazis would overrun Palestine and undoubtedly annihilate the Jewish uh, population that was there. So the situation was grim, and the British forces were demoralized. And uh, Derek Prince prayed that prayer every day for a change in, in leadership until finally the uh, British government withdrew the, the British general who was there at the time. And they sent another man uh, by the last name of Gott. His plane crashed, uh, was shot down on, en route, and he was, he was killed. Then Winston Churchill himself appointed another man whose name you may recognize. His name was Bernard Montgomery. And General Montgomery, who was at that time untested, took over. Montgomery was uh, the son of an Anglican, an evangelical Anglican pastor in England. And Prince said he fulfilled the two requirements for leadership, God's two requirements for leadership. He was just and he was God-fearing. He was also a disciplinarian and he, he brought his officer corps into line. He was a, a soldier's general. And, and uh, he called the, the, the night before the decisive battle of El Alamein. He called his officers and men together at his headquarters and he said, let us, and he called them to, to public, publicly called them to, to prayer. And he said, let us ask the Lord, mighty, mighty in battle, to give us the victory. Let us ask the Lord, mighty in battle, to give us the victory. Derek Prince said, or wrote that uh, when he heard that via the radio, he said he knew his prayers and those of many others for an allied victory had been answered. Well, the next morning, Montgomery attacked and over the next few weeks, General Montgomery and the, the British forces broke the back of Rommel's renowned Africa Corps and, uh, and pushed them back. And Winston Churchill later said that that was the, the decisive turning point of the war for the Allies. Montgomery went on to become the uh, commander of, of all ground forces for the invasion of Europe under Dwight Eisenhower. It reminded me when I read that of the passage in Daniel 2.21 
where Daniel says, referring to God, he says, he removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. Montgomery was the leader appointed by God for that particular point in history. There was another leader who was appointed by God in, uh, that we're going to read about and learn about in Second Chronicles 20 this morning. His name was Jehoshaphat. Would everybody say that with me? Jehoshaphat. Now, would you all raise your right hands? I promise never to name one of my children Jehoshaphat. <laughs> you do them a tremendous disservice. Plus, it would take them such a long time to write their name in the first grade that the whole class would be waiting. Jehoshaphat was a man of God. Similar to Montgomery, he was a man of uh, justice and a, a man who feared God. In fact, Jehoshaphat's role model was King David. And uh, he followed the example of King David in, in how he ruled as a king. He, he followed the Lord's commandments himself and he taught the people to do likewise. In fact, when you, when you read about him in uh, 2 Chronicles 17 and, and 19, where it talks about how he ruled, he actually sent out people to teach people the ways of the God of their fathers. And uh, he reformed some things that were going sideways in the kingdom at that time. There were corrupt judges, and he, he reformed that. He put new judges in place, and he charged them to, to, uh, to make decisions justly and, and, and honestly without uh, corruption. So he was, a, he was a person after God's own heart like, like David was. Well, they encountered a, a threat. Let's read about that in, in 2 Chronicles 20, 1 through 4. And if you are using one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 330. I'll save you a little time. It's page 330 if you're using one of the Pew Bibles. If uh, you have your own Bible there, you're on your own, or it will be on the, the screen. 2 Chronicles 20, 1 through 4. Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Meonites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram and beyond. They are in Hazazontamar, that is, En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat was afraid, and, and he turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Now, I provided a map for you on the back of your... Um, notes. And if, if you look closely at that map, uh, a, a couple things you'll notice. I, I want to point out, the first point I want to make about this attack is that the enemy's uh, threat was imminent and it was catastrophic. It was imminent and it was catastrophic. If, you'll, if you refer to that map, you'll see uh, down to the, the lower right corner of uh, the Dead Sea there, you'll see Ammon and uh, Edom and uh, Moab, uh, the three nations that came to attack Israel. And, and uh, you, you can also see En Gedi. If you look at that shaded portion uh, of Judah, the right lower corner of Judah, just to the left of the Dead Sea there, you, you'll see En Gedi. Well, what it says in verse 2 here is that En Gedi was, um, was the place where these, these troops were massed. This multitude was coming against Judah uh, from En Gedi right there. And uh, if you look at that legend on your map, you, you can kind of rough calculate that they were only about 20 miles from Jerusalem. 
Now, this was before mechanized warfare, of course, but still, that's only about a day's march or so from Jerusalem. This huge multitude, this huge army was coming against uh, Judah. And uh, let me make this point, that, that they were not there, they weren't cattle rustlers. They weren't there to take some stuff and leave. They were there to annihilate the, the population of Judah at the time. They were there to kill or carry off into captivity every man, woman, and child that was there. So it, it was life or death. Now let me make this point about uh, Jehoshaphat's situation and our situation. Um, bad things happen to good people. Some of us as Christians believe that we're immune from hardship and uh, disaster uh, in our lives, and that's not the case. Jehoshaphat had done nothing wrong, and Judah had done nothing wrong here to, to, uh, to cause these other nations to come against them. Uh, evil came against them, and, and evil will come against us in, in some cases as well. In some cases, God will allow hardship in our lives. It doesn't necessarily mean that uh, we're going to be immune from that because, because we're believers. What, uh, what is important, what should distinguish us, is the way that we respond to crisis in our lives when that occurs. Part of the reason, if you think about it, folks, that uh, God allows us to experience hardship and, uh, and trial and disaster in our lives is not just because sometimes he's doing a deeper work in our lives. That's true. Sometimes he is. Uh, but uh, part of the reason is also so other people in our sphere of influence can see how we walk through that. And God can use that, that uh, example in their lives to bring them to faith. So, so uh, good things happen to uh, those of us who are, or bad things happen to good people or those who are Christians who are walking with God. It doesn't mean that we're being punished and we're certainly not immune from that. The, the difference is uh, in how we respond. And Jehoshaphat responded in that way. Uh, first of all, we see he was afraid in verse 3. And, and it's okay to be afraid. It's not a sin to be afraid when you're confronted with that kind of a threat. It's what we do next that makes the difference. He did three things. First of all, he turned his attention to seek the Lord. He turned his attention to seek the Lord. The, the English Standard Version says he set his face to seek the Lord. He, he, his whole, his whole uh, what he was occupied with at the time was, was to seek the Lord and to, and to get God to intervene in the situation on behalf of his people. Secondly, he, pro, he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He proclaimed a fast. That is, uh, he called people together to collective prayer and fasting to, to uh, ask God to intervene in this particular situation. And thirdly, he prayed to God for help. We'll look at his prayer in more detail in, in just a moment. First, I want to make just a side note about the purpose of fasting and how that's used. At some point in time, I'll talk more about the spiritual disciplines and, and uh, how fasting fits in, into those in, in, our, in our life with God as we pursue God. But um, let me just say that, uh, that, that fasting is, is one of the spiritual disciplines or, or one of the ways that we uh, use, one of the disciplines or the practices that we use to grow in our life with God, like prayer, like uh, Bible study, like solitude and uh, silence and uh, meditation. All, all those are spiritual disciplines. Fasting is as well. And uh, fasting usually involves foregoing food for a period of time uh, so that we can focus our attention on our relationship with God. And it, and it can be for the purpose of expressing our humility and dependence on God. It, it can be 
to express repentance uh, for sin in our life. It can be to ask God to intervene in a particular situation in our life. But the purpose of fasting, plain and simple, the purpose of fasting is it intensifies our prayer and it, it grows and deepens our life with God. It intensifies our prayer and it, it grows and, and deepens our, our life with God. Fasting was practiced, if you, if you uh, look, for example, in the concordance in the back of your Bible, you look under fast or fasting, you'll see that uh, fasting was practiced extensively in the Old Testament and in, in the New Testament church. And Jesus himself, himself fasted for 40 days at the beginning of his ministry when he was tempted by Satan in the, in the wilderness. He gave instructions for Christians to fast in, uh, in Matthew 6. So it, it's, not, uh, it's not at all unusual, and there are certainly people here I'm aware that, that uh, practice fasting as part of their, their personal regimen of spiritual disciplines to draw them closer to God. So uh, fasting is, uh, is something that was practiced routinely not only in Scripture, but also in the history of our country. I, I found it interesting that uh, from the beginning of our country that our national leaders have called people together for prayer and fasting. George Washington did. Uh, Madison, Adams, Ben Franklin... Abraham Lincoln did on at least three occasions uh, call people together for prayer and fasting. And, and um, most recently, um, Governor uh, Perry from Texas called uh, Texas, Texans and, and uh, the, the country, believers, uh, to come together in, in prayer and fasting for the future of our country. Now, I've, in, I've included one of uh, Abraham Lincoln's uh, proclamations out of 1862, I think it was, and what was interesting to me, I've included that on in the back of one of your handouts, just so you could read it. And you know, with very few revisions, uh, we could republish that proclamation and use it today. Many of the circumstances that Lincoln uh, called people together for prayer and fasting for are, are still with us today, perhaps in a, in a different form. But what I was interested to note was the difference between the time when Lincoln did that and the time when uh, Governor Perry has, has done that. When Lincoln did that, both houses of Congress came together and pleaded and encouraged and urged and even demanded that uh, Lincoln uh, issue that proclamation and call the nation together for prayer and fasting. But when Governor Perry did that most recently, if you read his proclamation and, uh, uh, and you see the, the uh, attention it generated, there was a lot of negative attention uh, generated from that. And, and people uh, charged him with all kinds of uh, agendas as a result of that. And I thought it was, uh, that says something about our, the spiritual slide, perhaps, of our nation. Between the time uh, Lincoln issued that pro proclamation and the time uh, another leader on the national stage is, is uh, calling people together for fasting and prayer on behalf of our nation. It says something about where we are spiritually now versus uh, 150 years ago. Uh, Joshua had a, or Joshua, Jehoshaphat had a wonderful prayer of uh, petition to God, asking for deliverance. Let's read that in, in the next few verses in, uh, in 2 Chronicles uh, 20, 5 through 13. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, the, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? They have lived in it and have built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, 
We will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. Now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? And, and this is, this is uh, I think, the crux of the whole passage. He says, For we are powerless before this great multitude, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. You can just imagine the scene. Here is this uh, people from all corners of the nation standing there in front of the temple with their king praying to God. And uh, you got infants crying and little kids saying, Mommy, when can we go back to what we were doing? And I mean, families that are there crying out to God uh, for God to intervene in this situation. Um, Jehoshaphat believed unconditionally in God's power to save. And, and why, why was he able to generate that kind of faith? You, you see that in the first couple of verses of his prayer. Well, because he modeled his life after King David. And, and this is the key, folks. David studied God's works. Jehoshaphat studied God's works and the way that God had worked previously so that he knew how God would work in this situation as well. And, and King David knew God's track record. He spoke about it in, in Psalm 143, verse 5, where he says, I remember, he's talking to God, he says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the work of your hands. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the work of your hands. Psalm 143, 5. Knowing God's track record gave Jehoshaphat unshakable faith knowing God's track record. In other words, it goes back to what we've talked about before. What Jehoshaphat believed about God made a difference in what he did next. What Jehoshaphat believed about God determined what God could do through him. The level of his faith in God determined what God could do through him for his people at that moment in history. And notice also that Jehoshaphat... Um, that the crisis did not shape Jehoshaphat into a man of God. He came to the crisis as a man of God. He had cultivated his life with God. He knew uh, what, what God did and how he worked, and he understood God's promises before uh, he got to this place in his life. And so the lesson for us here, folks, is don't wait for a crisis in your life to cultivate a powerful life with God. Don't wait. Cultivate a powerful life with God now before the crisis and you will be in a position then for God to use you in that crisis, whether it's your own life or the life of the people around, the lives of the people around you, to intervene in that crisis on a spiritual level. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. To intervene in that crisis on a spiritual level and to leverage spiritual power to make a difference in the physical world from day to day. That way your response won't be when something happens to you, why me? Why are you doing this to me, God? Your response will be, Lord, what do you intend to teach me through this experience? And just as importantly, what do you intend to teach other people as I walk with you through this experience? How is your name going to be lifted up through all this? 
Well, Jehoshaphat knew God's promises and he prayed them back to God. If you look at the the, uh, quotes around verse 9, you'll see that what Jehoshaphat was doing there was actually, he didn't come up with that. That wasn't original. He was praying back a promise to God that God had given Solomon. We see in, uh, in Chronicles 7, 12 through 14, remember when um, uh, Solomon had asked God for wisdom? He had prayed to God for wisdom? This is God's response. This is the promise that God gave Solomon back. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, in other words, if uh, the nation of Israel fails to acknowledge me again and I have to get their attention, then if, the, if I shut up to heaven so there is no rain or I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among the people and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's, that's a promise that's relevant not only to uh, Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah. That, that's a promise that we can pray for our nation now. If we don't spend time in God's word understanding how he works and uh, we don't understand his promises and we can't pray them back to God, we'll be in a position where crisis comes and we're unprepared. And what we typically do then is throw up a Hail Mary of a prayer and ask God to answer it. Uh, but that's, that's not the best position. That's not where God desires us to be. It's not that he won't answer those prayers. Uh, certainly, he, he answers prayer. Uh, but better to come to a place, uh, come to that crisis in, in a place where uh, we recognize what God can do and we can ask in faith, and he can respond in kind. Jehoshaphat acknowledged that, uh, that they were powerless in this situation and completely dependent on God. He, you know, he didn't have any plan B. But he knew enough about the promises of God. And he, uh, his role model was David. One of, one of the promises that, uh, that David uh, received from God was in Psalm 34, 15. He says, David says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The, the righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. That, that's you, folks. That's, that's us as believers. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. In other words, bad stuff comes into our lives. But get the next part. The Lord delivers him out of them all. God will deliver you from, from whatever it is that comes into your life. I'd ask you to note that, to save it, to write it down, to pray it back to God. That, that's one of the I think that's one of the most precious promises to me in the Old Testament, in, in the book of Psalms, in, in Psalm 34 there, that God will intervene on our behalf. Well, Jehoshaphat recognized that this was not just a, a physical battle, physical confrontation. It was a spiritual battle. And that uh, he knew that that prayer would release spiritual power, spiritual power to defeat his, his flesh and blood enemies. Uh, you see, this wasn't just about the, the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Edomites. It, it was about the cosmic battle between God and Satan that began at the fall. Uh, God's purpose, Satan's pur- purpose, has always been to destroy the people of God and to, and to keep people from coming to God. And, and his purpose remains the same today. But um, 
he recognized at this point in history that, that God's eternal plan was to bring a savior. And that savior would come through the Jewish people. So Satan, uh, one of his many attempts to destroy the Jewish people was to thwart God's eternal plan, to bring a savior into the world. And, uh, and God's uh, goal, of course, was to prevent him from doing that. We're up against a spiritual battle today as well. As New Testament Christians, we're engaged in spiritual warfare, except that the battle is now for the, the hearts and minds of people, our own and, and other people around us. Paul writes about that in, in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Friday morning, I, I was looking at the uh, movie reviews in the Lansing State Journal. And I noticed that the, uh, the number one rated movie, and it received a 9 out of 10 by this particular reviewer, the number one rated movie was uh, a movie called Friends with Benefits. Now, if you don't know what that means, Ask a teenager or ask a, a college person what that means, and they will explain it to you. I'm not going to explain it here. But uh, what struck me at that moment in time was that that's where much of our culture is spiritually and that the battle is a spiritual one. That's, that's what... You see, Satan doesn't have to destroy people to keep them from God. All he has to do is distract people to keep them from God. All he has to do is, is fill the mind of people with garbage or trivia or whatever else will preoccupy them so they can't come to an understanding of the truth of the gospel and come to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and that's what that kind of thing does. And that's why it's a spiritual battle. Many of the issues that we face on a, uh, what we think is a political level, uh, a global economic level, are, are not, or a moral level, are not uh, just... Uh, on that level. They're spiritual issues and, the, and we can pray against them on a spiritual level. That's what Paul's calling us to do here. When he says, uh, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, those are not just the thought, our thoughts. Those are the thoughts of other people. And, and praying specifically, intervening on a spiritual level on behalf of other people that God has brought into our sphere of influence, that uh, the blindness would be removed, that God would open their hearts to the gospel that they'd not be preoccupied with trivia and garbage, but they'd, they'd be preoccupied with God and what his purpose is for their lives. Jehoshaphat uh, showed us and will show us in the rest of this passage that spiritual power exercised in that way always trumps a power in the natural realm. Spiritual power always trumps power in the natural realm. Well, let's look at God's response to, uh, to Jehoshaphat's prayer. He spoke through a man named Jehaziel. In uh, 2 Chronicles 20, beginning in verse 14, we read that, Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah. Boy, wouldn't it be easier just to have last names? <laughs> and he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of, of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. In other words, it's a spiritual battle. Tomorrow, this is what I want you to do. 
Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You'll find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. The, the Levites from the sons of the Kohathites to the sons of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a, a very loud voice. Here's a side note. Notice that uh, people in the Old Testament were not generally indwelt by the Holy Spirit as we are today. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're told that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit and we're in fact indwelt by the Holy Spirit and He begins to inform us through the Word of God and, be, and begins to, to shape our, the progress of our transformation into the image of Jesus Christ over time. That's, a, that's part of the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. That wasn't the case in the Old Testament. They, uh, people generally uh, were not indwelt by the Holy Spirit in the way that, that we are. But God sent his Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came upon individuals like he did in this case to, to, uh, uh, to give direction and uh, encouragement and sometimes um, a rebuke uh, to the nation. Came upon many of the prophets in that way and in this case came upon uh, Jehaziel as well. Uh, while God can still work in this way, most of the time he's going to speak to us uh, through the Holy Spirit that indwells us as, as we are in the Word of God and in prayer, and in listening to the Holy Spirit uh, while we pray, uh, God will give us a direction and encouragement and teach us things that we would not learn any other way uh, uh, through the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. So God's message to Judah and, and to us in verse 17 is, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. And uh, I have a question for you. How do we typically respond when we come to a crisis like this? We lose a job, our, our marriage is in trouble. We have prodigal kids or spouses, a life-threatening illness, broken relationships. Um deep depression, an addiction. You fill in the blank, whatever crisis it is that comes into your life. How, how do we respond? Well, I, I have to say that many times, and I have to confess in, in my own life that many times I, I try to do it, turn it into a do-it-yourself project, a DIY project. Uh, maybe it's just a male thing, but I'm convinced that, you know, I can fix it. I can fix it. Well, there are a lot of these kinds of problems that are beyond our capability to fix, aren't they? They're beyond our capability to fix. The, the good news is they're not beyond God's capability to fix them. And Jehoshaphat's, uh, his, his cry to God at this point in time is, uh, should be ours as well. He said in verse 12, we do not know what to do. You should probably underline this in your Bible. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That should be our approach to crisis in our, in our lives. When we don't know what else to do, we're up against the wall. We don't know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are on you. I prayed that prayer recently when I prayed with somebody who's uh, threatened with a, who received word that uh, she has a life-threatening illness. 
and, and she's, uh, she sees the end of her life rushing up on her. And this is the prayer we prayed. We don't know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are on you, and we ask you to intervene here. Let me share with you the, the most prayed promise uh, that I use with, with uh, people in, in crisis. And some of you know it well. To others, uh, others of you, it will be new. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, uh, where, where God, God's constantly trying to bring us to a place of dependence on him, you know. And many times when something like this comes into our lives, what he's telling us is, I need you to look at me. I need you, I need you to trust me. And he's trying to bring us to our knees again. And Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. That's the prayer I pray for people, with people. That's the promise I claim more than any other with uh, people who are in trouble. And you notice what we get? It's a conditional promise. Uh, First of all, God says to us, be anxious for nothing. And another version says, don't worry about anything. He he doesn't say, worry about this list of things, but don't worry about it. No, he says, don't worry about anything. Give it all to me. But he says, with thanksgiving. So the first condition is, we have to give it to God. Second condition is, we give it to God with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for what? We're in the middle of crisis. Thanksgiving, first of all, because God may be doing a deeper work in our life, and and we don't know what that is right now. Thank you for whatever you're doing in my life, in this circumstance, even if, and especially if, I don't understand it. I give you thanks for it. And, And secondly, uh, thanks for what uh, you're going to teach me and others through this experience as I walk with you through it. And thirdly, thanksgiving for the answer to the prayer that I haven't seen yet. I don't know how you're going to answer this. I don't know, you, I don't know whether I'm going to live or die. Um, but Lord, I, I give you this, and, and I, uh, I ask you to act, and I praise you for whatever answer you have for me. And then you see what God gives us in response? He said that peace that surpasses all human comprehension. So that even when you're facing your own death or, or some overwhelming threat, you can have a peace and joy that comes from God and can only come from God in this circumstance. Don't forget it's God's battle, uh, not yours, not mine. So God fights the battle, and he did for Jehoshaphat as well. Let's read about it in Second Chronicles 20, verses 20 through 30, the last 10 verses we're going to read here. They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of of Jerusalem. (laughs) This guy was full of faith. Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord, your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and, and those who praised him in holy attire. In other words, the worship team. He sent them out ahead of the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his loving kindness is everlasting. When they began singing and praying, notice that, when they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and so they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and behold, 
there were corpses lying on the ground and no one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found much among them, including goods, garments, and valuable things, which they took for themselves more than they could carry. And they were three days taking the spoil because there was so much. Then on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, which means blessing, by the way, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore they have named that place the Valley of Barakah until this day. Every man of Judah and Jerusalem returned, to, uh, returned with Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps, lyres, and trumpets to the house of, of the Lord, and the dread of God was on all of the kingdoms of the lands when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for God gave him rest on all sides. Notice a couple things. First of all, in verse 22, see that word when? When? Uh, when they began singing and praising. When, that Hebrew word uh, uh, means simultaneous action. In other words, God began the ambushes. God took action when they began singing and praising. Now you see the connection back to Philippians? That that God uh, wants our thanksgiving. He, he wants that expression of our trust in him. When these people began singing and praising him, uh, he acted on their behalf to deliver them. And, and uh, what that tells us is that there is power in, in prayer and power in praise and thanksgiving when we offer it to God. Notice also that he sent out the worship team ahead of the army. Well, that seems like, uh, on a human level, that seems like poor tactical strategy, doesn't it? Send out your, your worship team ahead of the guys with the, the swords and the, and the bows and arrows and the spears? That, that doesn't seem to make much sense. But you see, Jehoshaphat understood this was a spiritual battle and that, that praise and worship and thanksgiving would draw down, would leverage spiritual power, would leverage God's power to affect events in the physical realm. And that's why he did that. Spiritual songs, prayers of praise, and thanksgiving release God's power in the spiritual realm to affect events in the physical realm, and that's why we need to praise him when we ask him to intervene in a particular situation. Our praise and worship and thanksgiving attract the presence and the power of God. Joyce Meyer, again, in uh, the book, uh, The Power of Simple Prayer, well, first of all, Psalm 22, 3 says that, uh, that God inhabits the praises of his people. Inhabits, dwells in, abides in, are alternative translations. God inhabits the prayers of his people. That, that's why you sense the, the praises of his people. That's why you sense uh, God's power when we praise him in, uh, together in the morning because he's here. It attracts his presence. Uh, Joyce Meyer, in her book, The Power of Simple Prayer, says this about the power of, of praise and worship. She says, We gain more and more strength. Our faith increases, and the things that are coming against us to defeat us are dissipated as we praise him. Praise releases power in the spiritual realm, and it is a form of spiritual warfare that always leads to victory. There is a, a book in your book list called 31 Days of Praise that my wife uh, uh, let me know about and that has made a tremendous difference in her life and the lives of, uh, of the others. 
and, and I would encourage you, if you're looking for a life-changing experience, pick up that book, that little book by Ruth Meyer, uh, 31 Days of Praise. Praise is not just for God. It's not like God needs the encouragement, folks. Praise is, is uh, at least in part for us to release the power of God. That's what God intends it for. That's why he tells us in Romans 13, 15, he says, live a life that is full of praise. He says, through him, that is Christ, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Notice something else here about the way that God intervened. God intervened, didn't he, in, in a way that no one could have anticipated. Who could have anticipated that God would intervene by getting into the heads of the enemy combatants and turning them on each other, confusing them in such a way that they slaughtered each other? Who could have predicted that? Well, anybody who read the Old Testament actually could have predicted it because, because God operated that way many times. And there's a critical point in there for our learning as well. That is that God has capabilities that we don't have. And that's why in some of these, these God has the capability to resolve complicated human problems, many times in relationships that, that we don't. I talked with somebody after the last service. There's an issue in their family. And uh, I prayed with them briefly that God would intervene. And, and the point I made and am making here is that uh, the reason why we don't want to turn some of these things into do-it-yourself projects is because God has far more capability to intervene in the hearts and minds of the people involved than we do. If there's somebody who's far from, somebody in your life who, who you love who is far from God, and, and you will not badger them into the kingdom. You will not argue them into the kingdom. But you can pray them into the kingdom because in response to your prayer, uh, God... God's Holy Spirit will invade their life. We've seen this on a number of occasions over the past six months in this church where we've prayed for somebody who was far from God and, and hardened to the things of God. Six months later, they're, they're a believer in Jesus Christ. Praise God. And, and God brought them to himself. But, it, but he intervenes. My point is that he intervenes in a way that we cannot. And, and so we need to give him that. And, and allow him to intervene in that way. That's why it's so important that we bring prodigal children, broken relationships, interpersonal conflicts, lost jobs, financial problems uh, to God rather than turning it into a, a do-it-yourself. He can fix it and, and we can't. And folks, that's, that's why it's also, Michael made the point this morning, that's why it's also vital that we uh, intervene in prayer, ask God to intervene, in prayer on a national level for our, our leaders as well because God can do things in that way that we can't. We tend to think, well, yeah, we can participate as citizens, we can vote, or we can write our Congress. Yes, that's all important to do. But God can intervene on, on a spiritual level, and, and we can't. See, God changes hearts and minds. Um, that's why we need to pray for those in leadership over us. Now, let me... Let me uh, read you a quote from uh, Cal Thomas. Some of you are familiar with Cal Thomas, who's a conservative uh, commentator. He had a great column on Friday in the Lansing State Journal, and he's uh, commenting actually on the riots in Britain. And he made the point that uh, many of the things that are happening there, um, the, uh, the uh, unrest, the violence, the street violence, uh, those kinds of things, he said at their, at their root uh, is a moral and a spiritual problem. Um, and some of, the, some of the superficial problems are there to be, to be sure, but under, underlying those things is a moral and spiritual problem, and the same thing is true in our country. He says this, 
uh, and I'll quote this excerpt for you. The problem in Britain, and increasingly in America, is moral and spiritual, not economic and political. If civility, right and wrong, personal responsibility and accountability, and the right to life, liberty, and personal property are not values worthy of being passed on to the next generation, then their opposites will be taught by default. Children's natural tendency is to do wrong. The goal of discipline is to teach them to do right. The, li the London riots are the extreme outcome when right is no longer defined. When a society refuses to impose a moral code in its schools, homes, culture, pandemonium is the result. Unquote. You and I, as uh, followers of Jesus Christ, have, have the answers. The, the problems are moral and spiritual. The battle is often on the spiritual level, uh, not on the, the political or, or economic level. And uh, sometimes, you know, we complain about our, our leaders or we say, well, I, I wish that, uh, you know, they were different people. Or, I wish that they belonged to a different political party. Or I wish this. Or We do a lot of hand-wringing. Uh, what God tells us is in Romans 13.1, he says, every person is to be of subjection to the governing authorities. But then he says this, for there is no authority except from God. Those which exist are established by God. What he's telling us is that those people who are in those positions are allowed to be there for a particular period of time by God. Really? Well, yeah, actually, that, that's true. And, and Proverbs 21 tells us this as well. It, it says uh, God can influence people in those ways that we can't. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. It goes back to that capability that God has to intervene in people's hearts and minds on a spiritual level when we cannot do that. And when you read back through Scripture, you find repeatedly that God has intervened in the, the heart of a king or the heart of a leader to cause them to rethink their attitudes, their values, their decisions. He's re redirected the trajectory of whole nations by intervening in, in that leader's mind to change their thinking about a particular thing. Now do you see why we need to pray? We need to pray that our leaders, no matter who they are, that God will influence them to make decisions that are just and righteous and consistent with God's purposes. And, and God will do that. But we need to pray for that. There have been a number of great awakenings and revivals in the history of this country that began with a few people praying. And, and God turned a whole nation as a result. He, he's prepared to do that again. But we need to pray. Well, where do we go from here? You know, Joshua wasn't uh, born prepared by God uh, to act in this way when the crisis occurred in his nation. Josh, uh, Joshphet prepared himself over time. He made deliberate choices to study the ways of God and learn the promises of God and to learn to walk with God. And, and that's what, that's uh, preparing himself in that way, he positioned himself for the moment when he'd be used as God's instrument to change the course of history for his nation. Paul's challenge to Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy 2.21 was become an instrument for noble purposes, made useful, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to, to do any good work. Let me ask a question. Are you as useful an instrument in the master's hand as you could be? Am I as useful a tool in the master's hand as, as I could be? What are you doing to prepare yourself to be a more useful tool 
in the, in the master's hand. One opportunity coming up for our women here is uh, Laura Lee Kring's uh, Bible study on how to live a praying life. I read that book. I recommend uh, that study. That is a way that you can sharpen yourself as an instrument, prepare yourself to be used by God in your life and the, life of the, the lives of the people around you uh, to be a more effective instrument. Um, another opportunity is in your package this morning. You've got a, a one-year Bible reading plan that Katie Harding uh, put together for me. And, and I'm going I'm to challenge you to walk with me and Mark through the scripture over the, over the next year. Some of us have never read through the entire Bible. Well, we, here's a plan to do that for, uh, for all of us in the next year. And I'm going to challenge all of you to, to get into the Word of God. If you want to be prepared as an instrument to be used by God, you need to understand more about God and more about the way He works and to, to learn His promises and, and be able to pray those back to Him and, and to see that the way He works in Scripture. Now, this is not about assimilating information. You can read any book and assimilate information. But the Word of God, Scripture tells us, is living and powerful. The Holy Spirit uses it in our lives. It's not about assimilating information. It's about transforming lives. If you want to be a different person today, if you want to be a different person a year from now than you are today, then I challenge you to get into the Word of God. Here's a structured plan that allows you to read through the whole Word and, uh, and sample different portions of it throughout the week. There are even boxes for those of you who like to check off boxes. You can check off a box every day. Now, uh, you're all under grace. So for you overachievers, if you read ahead, it's not a sin. It's okay. And if you read these out of order and check off a box right in the middle of the sheet, that's not a sin either. You can read them in any, any order you want. But I'm going to challenge you to get into the Word of God. It will change your life in a powerful way. If, if uh, you're not already uh, in the Word, it, it will alert you to God's work in your life. Um, the Holy Spirit will use it to transform you from the inside out over time. You'll become alert to the opportunities in your life that God has for you to advance the kingdom in the lives of the people around you and in your own life that you weren't aware of before. You'll know God better. You'll trust Him more. Your faith will become stronger. Therefore, you'll pray more powerfully. More of your prayers will get answered. Some of you will pray for sick people and they'll get well. Some of you will pray for people in your life who are far from God and they'll come to faith. And some of you will pray for prodigal kids that you've almost given up on and God will give them back to you. So I'm challenging you to get into the Word of God and it will change your life. And I'll check back with you in the, uh, during the course of the year as to uh, how you're doing. We'll walk through it together. Let me close in prayer. And, uh, and I'm going to pray for you out of, out of Ephesians 1. The, Paul that, the prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians. Uh, Father, we thank you for the story of Jehoshaphat and uh, thank you for his powerful example. And Lord, in, in so many situations, in any group this size, uh, just about everybody has a story, a, a crisis, a hardship that they're walking through right now. And we just want to tell you, Lord, that uh, we don't know what to do. We don't have a plan B, but our eyes are on you. And, and we ask you to intervene on our behalf. We ask you to fight for us as we watch you lift up your name. And, and Lord, in the words of Ephesians, the, the prayer that Paul prayed for those brothers and sisters so long ago, 
We, we pray that the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. And we, we pray that uh, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we would know what is the hope of your calling, what are the riches of, of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, <clears throat> and what is the surpassing greatness of your power toward us who believe. And uh, Lord, we, we thank you for that power. We thank you for your unconditional love for us and the fact that uh, you're on our side. And uh, we ask that in this coming week, we experience, uh, as we get into your word and into prayer, we'd experience the power of your presence with us. We would, you'd make us alert to your Holy Spirit's work in our lives and the opportunities that you have to, to co-labor with us in advancing your kingdom. And we pray most of all that uh, you'd continue to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And then as we meet others in the, in the world this week, that, that what they see reflected is that character and that image of Jesus Christ in us. We ask this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.